Hello, this is Good People Talk, the podcast of the Good People Fund, and the place where we talk to good people supported by GPF as they nurture their visions of change and impact and go about making it. Earlier this year, right before the pandemic shut down travel, Good People Fund Executive Director Naomi Eisenberger was in Israel, and she sat for a bit with David Baskin, CEO and founder of Ani Shlishi, a GPF grantee organization. Ani Shlishi, which translates to I am third, works with at-risk youth in Israel, instilling them with confidence, self-esteem, purpose, community, and employability by putting them to work in Ani Shlishi's two used clothing stores. As of this summer, about 40 Israeli at-risk youth have gone through the program and are now imagining positive futures for perhaps the first time. Their stories mirror David's own, as he reveals in this fascinating and very personal conversation. You can find out more at goodpeoplefund.org and anishlishi.org. Both addresses are in our program notes. But for now, here's Naomi and David. We're here in another sunny day in Tel Aviv. Sitting with me is David Baskin, a co-founder of Anish Lishi. David, we connected two years ago, is it? Or a Around more. two years ago. Around two years ago. Two when, and a half years ago, even, maybe. Maybe two and a half years ago, when David and Ilan Kidar, who is his partner in this work, were introduced to the Good People Fund as... Their program, Anish Lishi, I'm Third, was really in its very nascent stages, and we became involved with just some basic work, like helping to write a website. And from there, our involvement in their work has continued and intensified as the organization has grown. David, tell us about Anish Lishi. We, you know, we know we translated as I Am Third. Tell us the origins of that. Well, the, the origins of Anish Lishik really begin with, let's say, my personal story. I grew up in Chicago, right, right outside of Chicago, in a place called Evanston, Illinois. And I grew up a very problematic kid. I was um, arrested several times before the age of 17, spent more time in courtrooms than I'd care to admit. And uh, I was sort of lost and vulnerable. And then I got to high school and I met a man named Ross Freeland who really changed my life. Ross was the assistant baseball coach at my high school. He was very quiet, very shy, almost awkward person. He had difficulty looking at people in the eye when he spoke. But he had this quiet philosophy about him called the I'm third philosophy. And he would often say, first comes the greater good, others are second, and then I'm third. And at a time where I was very lost and vulnerable, Ross did a very simple thing for me every single day, which is every day he threw me batting practice. And this process of working together on something showed me that there was a better version of myself out there that I could become, giving me the dignity of of giving me his time when he didn't have to. It was completely outside of his job description. And it made me feel like I mattered in a way that nothing else ever had. No conversation, no social worker ever could. Nobody ever had made me feel that way before. And it made me feel like I could contribute in a way that um, I could make a difference in the world and I could be somebody that mattered. And I went to college. I played baseball in college, kind of got myself together a little bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then I moved to Israel. And I was part of a program called Green Sabar that took 20-some-odd people that want to come to Israel 
and want to enlist in the army and put them all together on a kibbutz. We were all together for two years, and then after two years, everybody left. So I had a very simple realization after those two years that we had accumulated a whole bunch of clothes that was going to get thrown away and nobody was using. I gathered it all together, donated it to a shelter for at-risk youth called Beta Shanti. And this moment of seeing these kids run up to these items and feel the excitement and dignity of something that I took completely for granted every single day reminded me of the feeling that Ross gave me growing up. And we had a vision to use these clothes in order to impact young people at risk. Around that time that we had that idea, Ross, my, my coach and friend and mentor, he very suddenly passed away from cancer. We named a very infant concept and organization and vision after a man who meant a great deal to me in honor of him and in honor of the philosophy that he espoused. And that has gone from simply donating clothing to selling clothing at marketplaces and restaurants to fund vocational courses for youth at risk to one store that has a comprehensive program where kids learn skills and self-esteem and how to build a future for themselves to now two stores. And it's all um, in honor of, of a man who changed my life so that we could be that person for other people who needed it as well. I know that there are now two Anishlishi stores, one in Tel Aviv and one in Rishon Zion. How many kids have actually gone through the program in this very short time? We've had over 30 kids go through the program now. And the outcomes of their work with you? Are unbelievable. The sort of general metrics of success when it comes to youth at risk programs are their ability to integrate into what they call normative frameworks. Mm -hmm. So here those are school, work, and the army. Generally, amongst the group that we deal with, we're seeing a countrywide level of about 30 to 35 percent. In recent recent studies, that's what mm -hmm. it's looked like. And we're at 100 percent right now. Wow. Which is, we're very proud of that. Can you give us an idea, a couple of examples of the kinds of situations that these kids come from? They're often dropouts from school, completely disconnected from any social frameworks. They have a lot of difficulty with authority, deep, deep lacking in self-confidence, which manifests itself in many different ways. And the common theme that's sort of inescapable amongst them is, is very problematic family situations. Yeah. There's, a, there's so many reasons that a person could end up as being classified as at risk, but that is the common theme that we've seen over and over and over again. Right. And these kids are coming to you, they're being referred by social service agencies and larger, larger organizations using Anish Lishi as a training ground. What do you see for the future? Because, I mean, obviously, used clothing is a big deal today. Yeah. And <laughs> vintage clothing, as the term is today. You're actually making up a significant part of your budget with the sale of these clothes, which are all donated. Where do you see this model going? We see demand in every single facet of what we're doing. There's certainly demand with the youth at risk population. They're hungry for an opportunity to take control of their lives in a way where they can advance themselves forward. And we have a waiting list that is through, through the door. And um, we imagine a store in every city in this country, and we imagine even bigger. We imagine this could be a global, a global program. It could be a model internationally for sure. Obviously, a lot of it depends on the people who are running it. <laughs> um, I'll have to tell them to yeah, get their act together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So have some of these kids ended up working in retail? Some some have ended up in retail. Most have ended up in customer service. Customer service, actually, yeah. Right. Because the obviously you know the the most important portion of customer services or sorry of retail is, is customer, customer service. service. Right. Right. We realized very very early on that everything was sort of congregating around how we served our customer. The way that we could best teach our kids. Our best developmental tool was how we taught our customer. The way that we could have financial success was how we was how we uh, treated our customers. How we treated our customer. Everything was centered around customer. And then in this very interesting way, it had all these indirect effects, where all of a sudden a kid who is so internally focused on the difficult circumstances of their lives is serving another person. Yeah. And we've seen unbelievable relationships develop between customers and kids. Really? Which we That's were, you know, yeah, we were focused on the staff and the kids. probably never thought that would happen. Absolutely. Yeah. We've had kids who have opened up to customers in a way that they haven't even opened up to, to me. Yeah. yeah. It's really, it's a special, amazing thing. And it gives perspective to a kid who has never even had the opportunity for, per- for perspective in their lives. Tell us a little bit about what you offer them upon graduation and what other tools you give them to succeed outside the cocoon of Anish Lishi. Well, <clears throat> yes, they are they are paid as they work and the the actual program as it's set up inside of the store is sort of moves from them dealing directly with the inventory and focusing on their disciplinary skills and task management skills and organizational skills to moving to the register, which is a little bit more of a complicated act for for many of these kids to dealing with directly and creating relationships with and serving and and selling to customers and then as they reach the end of the program they um, have the opportunity to be promoted to a youth management position Mm -hmm. which is they aggregate and organize the shifts for the rest of the kids they're in charge of training new kids Mm -hmm. which is unbelievably special to see these kids come in with their heads down at first and Mm and uh, self-labeling to managing, managing and leading. And then as they graduate the program, they earn a small scholarship that they can use to advance their lives in some way after the program. And that can be a vocational course of their choosing or working towards a degree or opening a savings account or even starting a business if they want. We have one kid who wants to use their scholarship to start a youth shelter for at-risk women. Wow. In the same in the same way that she went through the program, right. she wants yeah. to help others. As we see with so many of our programs, mitzvah, goreret mitzvah, That's and right. one mitzvah leads to another. Tell us before we end, give us an example of one particular youth that you've worked with. I know you recently wrote a, a very moving story about a young woman, and maybe you can share that with our listeners today. I read about a concept not so long ago that that there's holiness in the ordinary. And I always really liked that concept, mm-hmm. that the most beautiful and transformative moments are often disguised as ordinary. And you can miss them if you, if you yes. aren't paying close attention. And we call those moments key to the universe moments. Because it's a moment where all of a sudden you have this key and you realize mm-hmm. in the exact same way that Freeland gave me that key, that all of the possibilities are open to you, all of the doors are open to you, that there's a you-sized hole in the world that you can, mm-hmm. you can fill, where you can create an absolutely incomprehensible difference in the world, an overwhelming difference. And one moment where that occurred 
we had a girl who came in who I actually interviewed her at the cash register because there, there was nobody else to interview her. <laughs> and she she came in and she said, hello, my name is, is Tamar and I'm a youth at risk. That was actually mm. how she introduced herself. That's how she defined herself. That's how she defined herself. We had no experience necessarily directly working with, with people like her before. And off the top of my head, I just said, okay, well, now, now you work at Anish Lishi. Now that's, now that's what you do. She absolutely flourished with us. Four months in, she, she, had, she had been promoted to that youth management position. And I remember that conversation with her where I, I sat down with her and she was nervous. She thought maybe she was going to get fired or something. She didn't yeah. understand what was happening. And I said almost nothing to her. I said, we think that you're very competent, responsible, good at what you do, and we would like to promote you to our youth management position. And she began weeping uncontrollably. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, no one has ever told me that I'm good at anything in my life. Mm-hmm. It's a, uh, there's beauty and tragedy in that moment. The beauty is that it takes such a small amount of encouragement for somebody to have that key to the universe moment. Right. And the tragedy is not to get it. And so one day I was sitting in my office and she was not on a shift and she called me and she was crying. She was crying about something that had occurred at her shelter. She lived at a youth shelter for women at risk. She said, everything is all messed up. And so she came in, she walked through the door she walked through the clothing section past the dressing rooms upstairs to where i was sitting in my office and she sat down with me and her eyes were red and swollen and she said everything is messed up i hate them i said what happened and she said they said that i'm irresponsible that i'm an irresponsible person and she said i made a mistake she didn't explain what the mistake was i made a mistake but how can they say that i'm an irresponsible person Mm. so first of all that differentiation between I made a mistake, not not uh, not absolving oneself of the responsibility of right. that mistake. Right. But I'm not an irresponsible person. She said, "That's the last thing that you can say about me." So I said, "Why is that?" She said, "Because look at everything that I've done here. I'm a shift manager here. I'm respected here." And she had that moment where her face changes from you know a frown to a smile. And I said. Do you know who Eleanor Roosevelt is? I'd like to tell you a story about Eleanor Roosevelt. She lost her parents at a very young age. She was determined to be somebody in the world. She was determined to matter. She became famous as being the first lady of the United States. She was outspoken for vulnerable populations. And she had a, a sentence that she became famous for. Nobody can make me feel inferior without my consent. And she right. began to sort of repeat it in that moment of having the key. key. And it was the first moment where... We realized not only was she a good kid, but she was special. I choose who I am. Nobody can tell me who I am. Nobody can tell me what I'm worth. And nobody can tell me what I can become. And those are the moments that are so beautiful that they are, uh, it's overwhelming. It really is. It's overwhelming that we get to do this every day. It's overwhelming for me. I I remember reading that in a newsletter that you sent out and sitting at my desk with the tears coming down my face, I felt that whatever money the Good People Fund had invested in Anish Lishi was was well worth it because tomorrow was just one of many. And That's you right. know, it is our hope you and Elon are given the opportunity and the funding to create many more tomorrows. And um, it's certainly for us a privilege to be able to join you on this road and help you in ways that we do. I want to thank you for being with us this morning. My pleasure. And um, for all of the good work that you 
are both doing with Anish Lishi. I do have to tell you something before we finish. I got to speak to a group of social entrepreneurs not that long ago. The topic of discussion was the delusion of the entrepreneur. (laughs) (laughs) Because there is a certain pervasive delusion in being an entrepreneur mm-hmm. you you have to have a vision that nobody else that nobody else shares in order to in order to succeed i have a very clear memory of the beginning processes of this organization where elon and i met in my apartment every day and sorted through clothes and we had <laughs> we had dreams of what exists now it, it didn't make sense to anybody but us my best friends my family didn't really? understand what i was talking about Nobody understood what we were talking about. We were sorting clothes in our apartment. I had piles and piles of clothes in my apartment where my roommates were saying, you know, when are you going to get this out of here? (laughs) Nobody believed in us at that point in the life cycle of our organization like you did. I said yesterday when I spoke to you that one store, two stores, ten stores, whatever this becomes, and we will do, we will work tirelessly to be sure that it is, it is great. Uh, it doesn't happen without without that belief from you. So we are yeah. we are very grateful. My life has revolved around a lot of Meshuggah people <laughs> <laughs> who can look at a pile of clothes and say, "Wow, mm-hmm. you can do good things with this." <laughs> and you know, for me, that's the privilege that I've been given by our donors and those who make all of this possible. So I understood that pile of clothes <laughs> very clearly and you have turned it into a pile of gold <laughs> thank you 